there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Thank you, Jessica, and thank you, Carolyn. Uh, what a stirring song. I know it's spiritual, uh, wonderful to be blessed, um, and wonderful words, and powerful. Uh, we have a special treat today. As uh, some of you may know, if you've been with us, we have been uh, blessed by a series of guest preachers throughout this month, throughout the Advent season. We have been rotating through uh, different preachers from our network congregations. You may or may not know uh, Grace Meridian Hill is a part of an extended family of little communities, worshiping communities throughout the city. And so uh, we have uh, the preachers from each of our three congregations preaching at the different worship services today. Special treat, we have Pastor Glenn Hoberg uh, preaching for us. Uh, he's the lead pastor of Grace Downtown, which is also where I was before this crazy operation got started up. And uh, I could go on and on about this brother uh, who is a brother. Glenn is a friend. He's a mentor, a confidant, someone who has carried me, wept with me, prayed for me, prays for me. Today, prays for you. Uh, 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 impacted so much of my understanding of the gospel as well as my understanding of what ministry is all about uh, early on in my years at Grace Downtown uh, after a couple of months maybe a year or so uh, I started hearing from people you know when you preach you kind of sound like Glenn and uh, I think some of that was a young preacher trying to find his own voice uh, but some of it I think was a little symbol of my admiration for him uh, knowing that there was so much to benefit uh, from who he was and how he did uh, his ministry and so it's with joy and with gratitude and with brotherhood and everything in between uh, that I'd love to invite you forward, Glenn, and let's welcome this brother into this pulpit. Good morning. At least I got that right. I'm used to saying good evening, so I thought I would mess up the intro. Uh, I'm humbled by uh, those words uh, because I feel humbled and privileged to be in relationship with this brother who teaches me again and again and so wowed by what God is doing in this community. Uh, my wife and I were here at um, the service where you came into this building and what a joyful time it was. 
was hoping she'd be with me this morning, but we'll be back at the Christmas Eve service. And I'm especially delighted about that because my wife has bugged me for years, why don't you have a Christmas Eve service? And as soon as Duke said we're having one, I thought, all right, I'm off the hook. Finally, we've got one in our network, but I'm so grateful to be here uh, with you this morning and to worship in the presence of the living God. And I know many of us come from many different places. Uh, Some of us uh, from maybe a strong belief, some of us from shaky belief, some of us from wondering about belief. And I have to believe at some point you felt something. I certainly did. And I'm so grateful to God. And as you know, we're spending time looking at this idea of um, the characters of Christmas, the different preachers in our network. And uh, by characters, I don't mean characters like Rudolph or Buddy the Elf, uh, but rather characters of the original Christmas. And when we talk about characters, we can talk about it in two senses. The characters themselves, like Joseph and Mary and the Lord, And we can talk about the character of the characters, their integrity, their lives, what they believe. But one thing is for certain, characters don't make any sense unless you know a storyline, right? I mean, the name Bilbo makes no sense whatsoever unless you know the story, The Hobbit, right? Or the name Katniss doesn't make any sense unless you know the story. And that name still doesn't make any sense to me. It sounds like catnip to me. I don't know. I can never quite get get on with it. But, you know, for us to understand the stories or the characters in the Bible, God is so kind. In the very first chapters, he gives us the storyline of the Bible. First of all, he tells us that we're not here by accident and we're not here alone. In the beginning was God. And then he also tells us there's a reason for all the bad and the sad in the world. When men and women turn from God, a lot of bad stuff comes in. And yet we also learn in those early chapters of the Bible that God will not leave us alone. He loves us too much to leave us alone. And so he promises to send a super son, a seed of a woman that will crush evil and undo it. And then we're also told in that last chapter that he will not stop until he completes that mission. The first coming or first coming of Jesus was called the first advent. But we look forward to a second coming where God will complete that work where the super son will say, behold, I make all things new. And aren't we in need of that this morning? And so as I tell you that little storyline, maybe it helps you make sense of why a pregnant woman in Israel would be such a big deal. Because when a woman was pregnant in Israel, it wasn't just, I wonder if it'll be a boy or a girl. It was, I wonder what manner of child this will be. Could this be the birth of the long fulfillment of God's promise to send a super child, a super son to save us? And it also helps us make sense of how Elizabeth greets Christmas. Now, you know, you can tell a lot by greetings, can't you? I mean, if you see two people sort of shake hands formally, you can figure, well, they probably don't know one another. If you see two people bow to one another, you can say, well, these folks are probably from a culture that honor one another in a particular way and show that honor. Or if you see two folks just grab each other and hug, you can surmise they probably know one another well. 
we can learn things about Elizabeth's greeting to Mary. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And there's two things about it, the spirit of the greeting and the expression of the greeting that we'll look at this morning. The spirit of the greeting and the expression of the greeting. And the spirit of the greeting is simply humility. Humility. Uh, One writer has said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You know that old joke, uh, I'm tired of talking about myself. You talk about me then, right? That isn't humility, but it's something that each one of us uh, often finds ourselves at least thinking. But there's another marker of humility, I think, that we see present in the Advent story, and that is this. Humility is the ability to live well when you're low. Humility is the ability to live well when you've been brought low. And Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, know what it's like to be brought low. They've been brought low through childlessness. We're told early in the passage that was read, they can't have a baby. Now, when a couple can't have a baby, it's hard in any day and age. And maybe some of you know that pain in this room. But it was especially difficult in the days that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in. Because in many ways, a woman's identity was so bound to having a child. Uh, the family's hope for a future, heirs to work their land, all the assets were bound up in land, hope for an inheritance that would go on and on. We might even say, especially in the community of faith, it hurt the most. As people hoped that there would be a heritage of faith. So Zechariah and Elizabeth feel that low. And you and I know it's easy when you're feeling low to feel like you've fallen out of God's favor or somehow God is against you. It's just easy to feel that way. And although Zechariah is a priest in God's community, although they come from a distinguished heritage going all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother, and although the text tells us that God saw them as righteous in his sight, Elizabeth still feels it as disgrace and dishonor. This is how it comes to her. And it reminds us, isn't that the case with us? Many times you and I feel that weakness that we've been saddled with as shame. We feel that illness as a curse. But we need to remember, my dear brothers and sisters, that righteous people often face disappointment. Righteous people are often brought low. In fact, I would say that that is the case. You know, it is the case across the board. And we're reminded in, through, in the season of Advent as well, aren't we? As we sing the hymns and the songs, listen to this word. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake became this man, stooping so low that sinners raising. The Advent story is about God himself coming low. Amen? It's about God himself. I mean, the great God of glory, who's in eternal glory, eternal glory, the one who is immortal, invisible, God-only light, without any sort of end, that God not only stoops to become finite like you and I and submit himself to weakness and hardship, but stoops even lower to become the slave God, the servant God who washes the feet of sinners. And he comes even lower, as we're told, he becomes sin itself for us, takes all our shame and guilt upon himself. 
if you are feeling low, you have company. You should know that no one has gone lower than the God of heaven and earth. He has stooped for you and I. But you and I must realize that it's not just righteous people often are brought low. They must be brought low. It's because when you are brought low, your character begins to glow. And we see that with Elizabeth here. You know, how are diamonds made? Where do they find diamonds? Well, they find diamonds in deep, dark mines, in the pit of a crater. Some of them are formed over millions of years. They're formed under high pressure. That is how the diamond of humility is formed in our lives. In a dark place, in a low place, under high pressure, and often going on and on and on. And Zachariah and Elizabeth know what that's like. I mean, it had been years, we're told. They're well advanced in years. This wasn't just a week or two weeks. Imagine this scenario month after month where Zachariah looks at Elizabeth and he wonders, is it this month? And she looks away from him. Years, decades, decades of being brought low. Maybe you resonate with that in the thing that you carry. But it's in that place that humility begins to shine. And I would say in two ways we see it in Elizabeth. First of all, surprising humility. Now, if you've ever met a famous person or know someone that's met a famous person, you know the thing that will be remembered longest isn't they were so beautiful or they were so sharp or they were dressed so fine. If you had a chance to meet them, the thing that will stick with you is they talked with me. They talked to me as if I was just like them. It's humility. Surprising humility stays with us longer than anything else. And that's what Elizabeth brings to Mary. I mean, Elizabeth, although she is Mary's superior in age, she's Mary's superior in bloodline, she's Mary's superior in social office, what does she say? She says, blessed are you. Why should I have you visit me in my house? She has this low place, surprising humility. When we talk about the spirit of the season, yes, it's charity. Yes, it's generosity. But the spirit of the season is humility. If you want to give someone the spirit of humility, give them surprising humility. It may be you give up the right to have that last word in an argument. It might be that you surprise them with an act of service. You know, your spouse walks in and goes, what is this? You made the bed. I don't know what to do with this. Maybe it's that small act of humility. I remember uh, my first year of marriage where um, I had taken up fly fishing because I saw this movie called The River Runs Through. You know, every, every, everybody went out and bought fly rods. And, uh, you know, and that stuff ain't inexpensive. It's expensive. And on top of that, it has three strings. Three strings. It's not like the old Zebco fishing rod, if you remember that. And you, you got to put the strings on in the right direction. And, of course, uh, you know, Typical to me, I just rush through it. I get too fast. I get impatient. I start messing with the strings. Before I know it, I just have a big ball of twine, you know, all messed up together. And I had to go out somewhere, and I remember just being mad, and I threw it down, and I walked out the door. And two hours later, I came back, and there's my wife, Meg, meticulously just taking it apart. I mean, I have, it's been 22 years I haven't been down there. This act of humility that was so small surprising. But also the source of humility is what we see with Elizabeth. And she says, why, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
Now, this is amazing. The first person to confer, confer the title Lord upon Jesus is Elizabeth. That little prophet in her belly, John the Baptist, is speaking to her mom. And she confers that title on Psalm 110 in the Old Testament. Comes true and she says it out, right? But it's not just she speaks it, she owns it because she says, my Lord. She has this idea that she has a claim on God. And everybody that has any sort of powerful or good relationship with the God of the Bible, it's become my Lord. And you know there's a difference. Maybe some of you have grown up in the church and you know the Lord. And you know God. But a real change happens when you say he is my God. These are my promises. He is my Lord. I am his child. And she owns that. And I think it shows us two things. First one is by way of connection. The reason that Elizabeth is humble before Mary is because she's first humble before God. It's impossible to be humble before another person unless you are first humble before the creator of all people. It just only stands to reason. But the second thing is submission. And that's a dirty word in our day, right? Submission. We've all but lost the beauty of that word today. And we need to recover it. The, the Bible tells us that when you come to know God, you begin to relate to him in lots of ways. As a son or daughter to a father. As a bride to a groom. As a student to a teacher. But another one of those is a subject to a Lord. And just like we can't do with any of those other things, we've got to understand that one as well. There's a beauty, there's a nobility, just like in all those other roles, there is in this idea of submission. And there's only one place you can really see if you've understood submission. It's not what you say, and it's not even so much what you believe. It's your life. Your life is the place that you see that you've understood, I submit everything to the God of heaven and earth. There was an old uh, theologian, Abraham Kuyper, that said, there's not a square inch of the universe where Jesus doesn't say mine. Every, every fear. Every, every sphere of life. He says, mine. And it begins to reflect in our own lives. We saw it, You see it in the wise men, if you know that story. It says when they came and saw the, the child Jesus, he was probably about two years old then, that they fell down and they worshipped him. To be a wise person is someone that knows how to fall before the God of heaven and earth. Now, as you begin to hear this thing about humility, you may find yourself kind of going... Well, this is a depressing sermon because humility doesn't come easy to me. It doesn't come easy to me. I struggle with humility greatly. And I want to encourage you that it's not this idea of some people just happen to be humble. Some people happen to have the gift. Why is Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit, or rather filled with humility? We're told because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why. God's Spirit lives in her. Some religions will say that you need to climb a mountain to get God's Spirit. Some traditions of the Christian faith will say that you need to have a second baptism to have God's Spirit. But I want to tell you, it's much better than that. And that is, you know how you can get God's Spirit? You simply ask Him for it. You're connected with God the Son, and He will give you His Spirit. Whatever you need this morning, whatever part of your character you're struggling with, if it's humility, if it's long-suffering, if it's love, God's Spirit is your power. And He gives generously to all without fault. 
for those that ask. And the thing about humility is it's what you might call a doorway virtue. Just like pride leads into a bunch of ugly stuff, humility leads into a bunch of good stuff. When humility begins to work in our lives, it opens up many doors in our lives. And as I take you back to that idea of a greeting, you know, a greeting might leave you cold. A greeting might leave you filled with joy. A greeting might leave you, I don't know, just feeling nothing. When God begins to work in your life, I will say it shows up and expresses itself in a few ways. First, it completes joy. Second of all, it commends faith. And thirdly, it confirms blessing. Let's look at those. First of all, it completes joy. When Elizabeth meets Mary and Mary comes into her house, we're told that she is filled with joy, that the baby in her womb leaps. Now, it could have gone differently. She's a normal person just like you and me. I mean, she could have been filled with envy and competition, right? This could have been the battle of who has the bigger and better family, like Rachel and Leah in the Bible. And you know what that's like, those of you that have children, the way that we'll say, uh, oh, did I tell you the two-year-old Anthony's reading? And we answer back, well, well, good, when he's done with his book, I'll give him my daughter's encyclopedia, a biography of, uh, you know, presidency of the United States. He can read that. You know, we love to one-up one each other and compete. This could have been the temptation to do. Or it could have been criticalness. Elizabeth could have said, I'd, you know, I'd like everybody to meet my younger, not married to a priest cousin, Mary. <laughs> right? Or she may have said, uh, oh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> filled with all those things. But instead, instead we're told that she's filled with joy. But even more so, there's something interesting we find. Elizabeth's joy is not complete until she feels Mary's joy. Her joy is not completed aside from another person's joy. Now this is a different idea, totally. It's one you find demonstrated in people in whom the Spirit of God lives. In fact, John the Baptist, whom Elizabeth would raise, and she did a really good job because we see it reflected in his life, People were constantly coming up to John the Baptist saying, are you, the, are you the Savior? Are you the Messiah? Because of who he was and how powerful he was. I don't know if you've had anybody come up to you recently and say, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? But I'll tell you, if they came up to me, I'd probably say, no, no, of course not, and take a step away and go. On the other hand, you know, right, we're constantly trying to sort of get people to say, I've never met anybody like you. There's a scene in the book of Acts where some people fall before, uh, you know, Paul and one of his companions. And they say, the gods have come to us in human form. And I think if we're honest, we want people in this city to say that about us. So there was a temptation. But listen to what John said. You yourselves bear me witness that I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Man, I would love to know what that's like. This idea that I must decrease and you must increase or my joy will not be complete. This is the spirit of the Christ. This is the spirit of the Messiah already at work in Elizabeth's life. And then at work in the life of 
of John the Baptist because it would be Jesus, right? The glorious one who would say, my joy is not complete. The book of Hebrews says, you know, the cross, his suffering as he was crucified was the joy set before him. And there's a couple ways I think we get there. The first is by understanding our relationship to God and one another. Now, you know, you know if you have a niece or a nephew or a child that if they're not happy, you're not happy, right? When a, when a child is unhappy, the parent, it's hard for them to be happy. So we understand that there's a joy completedness that's bound up in relationship. When you understand your connectedness and relationship. You see, that's why Jesus says that. How could he be joyful if his bride is not joyful? How could he be joyful if his children are not joyful? These are his people, his bride. And when you and I begin to have that relationship with one another, and that's what you're being invited into and experiencing here in Meridian Hill. A sort of love that's growing between one another where you go, you know, I can't really be joyful unless I know my brother and sister is joyful as well. This is what we find. But it's also perspective because it may be easy to go, well, I can tell you why Elizabeth was joyful. She got her answer to prayer. She got the baby. If I got my answer to prayer, I would be joyful. But I want you to notice that's not the source of her joy. Rather, the source of her joy is what? The fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken. That's why she's joyful. Not, you know, Mary, you got a baby. I got one too. Great. But rather it was, this is the fulfillment of what God has spoken. And we see this spirit in people like Joseph. If you know that story of Joseph, I mean, he goes from the pit to the prison to the palace or the other way. I forget. But he has a hard time, Joseph. Falsely accused, thrown in prison. All sorts of things going on. At the end of his life, it was brothers who did it to him. What does he say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But he doesn't stop there. He goes, for the salvation of many. He understood the story was bigger than him. Mary has the same thing where she understands this Christ child isn't just her joy, but rather it's for the promise of Israel coming. We see the same in Elizabeth. So I would ask you, how wide is your joy this morning? You see, if it's only your life and God working in your life to be the source of your joy, you're not going to be joyful that often. But imagine if you could get in on the joy of everybody in this room. Imagine if you learn the secret of going, my joy will not be complete until my brother and sister is lifted up as well. All those things that you can be joyful about just widen out immediately. And so first of all, completing our joy. Second of all, it expresses itself by commending faith. Commending faith. Now, as I mentioned, Elizabeth and Zachariah had had a long go of it and a hard go of it. Many years and you know if you've been bearing up under a trial, uh, it is not hard to believe. Rather, I'm sorry, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. And I think it was hard for Mary to believe. I mean, think about it. Sure, Mary had the angel, and she believed and she was blessed, but what's it like a week after the angel's gone off? What's it like when people begin to gossip in the community? What's it like when you hear word that your betrothed husband is going to quietly divorce you because he doesn't understand what's going on. You know, who knows how it all played out, but you have to wonder, what was Mary going through? It's not easy to believe when you've been brought low. And I, I think the reason that Mary comes to Elizabeth is because God wants to encourage her faith. You know, it was very unusual for a woman to travel at her stage. 
to go 80 to 100 miles. Usually women would go in for five months. So here you have this 14-year-old girl pregnant, goes off on her own, travel 80 to 100 miles. Why? Maybe it's because the Lord wanted to commend her faith and encourage her. And that's what she gets. She comes into the door, right? And Elizabeth says, and blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. Elizabeth commends her for believing the promise and word of God. Now, if you are here this morning and you're looking into the Christian faith, I want to commend you for being here. I want to commend you, not just because you're here hearing the word of God, but you're in a community trying to figure it out. You know, there's some knowledge, there's some knowledge, some understanding that you can't just read about or stand back and scrutinize. Right? If you're going to learn to swim, at some point you have to jump in the water. If you're going to learn to groove like this band, at some point you've got to feel it and you've got to play it. And the Christian faith is like that. If you're going to learn what the Christian faith is really about, you have to do it while you're in community. So you're in a good place, and I want to commend you to press on with that. But for those of you that received that word, I, I want to say two things tonight. Number one, you know, sometimes um, we forget to attach faith to God's word. You know, just like yeast, bread needs yeast to rise. God's word needs faith to rise. And here's what I mean. For some of us, uh, God has been bringing a truth into our life over and over again. And we have yet to really lay faith on top of it. You know what I'm saying? I, don't get me wrong. All of us struggle. All of us have doubts. And one of the things I love about this community is the way Duke invites people to open up that part of their lives. But you and I also know that sometimes God has taught us something over and over and over again. But we really haven't put faith onto it. I mean, imagine that uh, your child or a child that you love and care for, you say, I'm going to take you to the park. And they come up to you and say, are we going to go to the park? And you say, yes, we're going to go to the park. And then they come up 30 seconds later and they go, are we going to go to the park? Yes, we're going to go to the park. They come up five minutes later, are we going to the park? Yes, we're going to go to the park. They come up six minutes, you get the point. At some point, when we do that to one another, it's a question of trust and character. It's a question of, you know, do you not believe my words? We may have to wrestle with that with God. But more importantly, I think we need to be a community that commends one another. When is the last time that you said to someone, thank you for believing God's promise? I want to thank you through this hard trial that you have held on to the word of God. You have held on to your faith. Thank you. Because Elizabeth commends Mary's faith, and I think Mary needs it. But lastly, it expresses itself in confirming blessing. Elizabeth pronounces what we might call the first beatitude, the first blessing that we find. And uh, she bestows, in fact, a triple blessing. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She says, blessing again. And like Abraham... I'm sure this must have seemed very strange to Mary. You know, blessed am I among all women. I mean, I'm 14 years old. I'm pregnant. You know, my, my life is a hard go any, anyway of it. My husband is questioning whether or not he ought to marry me. How am I blessed? And it reminds us that Jesus' version of blessing is always very different. If you've ever read the Beatitudes, you understand how is this blessing over against what the world says is blessing. 
I mean, the world and culture says, blessed are you if you have the right body type or the right skin tone or the right university that you went to or the right job or you know the right people. And the truth of the matter is many times we will stand before Washington and go, bless me, Washington. Bless me. Please bless me today. Give me what I need. Give me the right job. Give me the right relationships. But Jesus' beatitudes and his blessings are so different. What does Jesus say? Blessed are you who feel like spiritual failures. Blessed are you the poor in spirit. Blessed are you that allow someone else to go ahead of you. Blessed are you that have the opportunity to be assertive, but you decide not to be assertive. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you that suffer because you believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. I mean, these are very strange blessings that he confers upon us. And so you and I are reminded, as we confirm blessing upon one another, that while God will give us physical blessings, and these are a wonderful foretaste for someone that has come to know Christ, they can never satisfy you. I mean, don't get me wrong. All these things that God gives us, like children, and friendship, and a good feast at a table, and music we like, you know, and a job we love, whatever it would be. Those are good things. The book of Ecclesiastes would say, eat, drink, and be merry, meaning enjoy the, God, the gifts God gives you. But someone that has come to know this God can never be satisfied with that. You're hungry for something more. And it, it demonstrated in a, uh, a prayer that a mentor of mine basically sent out a couple weeks ago, and I want to read it to you. He says, Oh God, to be completely forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future, in word, thought, and deed, because you dealt with Jesus in keeping with our sins on the cross, to know that you have declared us to be righteous in Christ, robed with his perfection, beauty, and goodness. This is true blessedness. Everything else, as they say, is gravy. Father, whether I live in a penthouse or an outhouse, drive a BMW or pedal a bicycle, feast on caviar or munch on a crust of bread, have a retirement fund or live from paycheck to paycheck, wear updated fashion or hand-me-downs, am a hippie, hipster, or homeless, I am a blessed man, a truly blessed man, simply and profoundly because I am in Christ. Amen? That's the good news, right? no matter what you are or where you are this morning, that blessing is available to you. Maybe you feel like, I can't get at the blessing I want. I'm clawing for the blessing I want. And Christmas is just a reminder of it. Christmas is just a reminder that I feel like I am outside the glass. I am looking at everybody having the feast with the big turkey, and they're all happy, and I'm blowing on the glass, and I can't look in, and I can't get it. And I want to tell you, that might be Christmas. That's not Advent. That's not the Christian gospel because you right now are invited in to be in that place of blessing. Will you walk in? Will you be in it? And for those of us that are in that place of blessing, the truth is sometimes we need to hear it loudly. I love the fact that Elizabeth exclaims, she shouts, blessed are you among women and the fruit of your womb. She lifts her voice. When you and I lift our voice high, we're, we're declaring to the universe this is true. You know, whether it's, I love him. Or I love the Redskins, or whatever it would be. We're declaring to the universe this is true. And I love the fact that the God of the universe is not shy to lift his voice over us. He lifts a banner of love over us, but he lifts his voice. He exclaims, Jesus says at a feast with a loud voice, If anybody is thirsty, come to me, and I'll give you living water, and it will force within you. 
And we're told at the second advent, at the return of Christ, an angel with a loud voice says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. A loud voice. You need to hear that with a loud voice this morning. That thing that you desire in your breast, that life that you imagine, that life that you hope, it's not a mistake. Don't let anybody tell you it was a mistake. You were made for something better. You were made for something that will not be satisfied until the God of heaven and earth does what he said he will do. Not just here, but everywhere. In Columbia Heights, in Washington, D.C., all over the globe. And so as we greet Christmas, let's take a leave from Elizabeth. Let's know there's joy. Let's know there's hope. Please pray with me. Father, you know that our faith is weak. That uh, you say you'll do a lot with a little faith. Even a mustard seed size. So I pray for everybody in this room, any of us that had even the littlest faith, that you would bless it. And you would help us to lay hold of the hope that you've given us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Rejoice, rejoice. 